In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today we remember and commemorate our dear brother in Christ, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of the Christ, the final prophet, and the greatest man born of a woman. But we're not commemorating his birth or his life today. We're commemorating his martyrdom and specifically the beheading of John the Baptist that was done by the Tetrarch Herod Antipas. Now, Herod had a wife already, uh, but he was dissatisfied with her. And the woman he now wanted was his brother's wife, Herodias. And so he took her away from his own brother and then married her. And while everyone heard uh, what Herod did, and some actually admired him for for this, uh, John the Baptist spoke against it. And in fact, he told Herod to his face. He said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, I used to think that Herod was angry with John for this, but the truth is that the text says something else. It says, Herod was greatly disturbed, and yet he heard him gladly. This is a sign that Herod was beginning to understand his sin and that he didn't completely reject the word. He, 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 was, he was listening to it, at least to some degree. Now, Herod actually revered John. He was afraid of him also, because, and he also looked up to him because John was a holy and righteous man, and he couldn't uh, negate that. He couldn't deny that. However, uh, Herodias's, uh, Herodias, Herod's new wife, she couldn't stand John uh, And she wanted him dead. And I would uh, suggest that the reason she wanted him dead and that the reason she was more perplexed about this is because she had a guilty conscience. And that means that she wasn't innocent in the entire thing. It was probably that she sought out Herod and maybe seduced him and enticed him to be with her instead of his own wife. That could be the case. Well, the fact is that John called out this sin repeatedly, and when he did so, Herodias got upset with him, and she was constantly reminded of her sin, and she wanted him to be quiet, and the only way to do it was to have him dead. So the only reason Herod puts John in prison was for, it says, for the sake of Herodias' wife, as verse 17 says. He didn't want to, but he did it for his wife. Now, so here you have Herod who's slowly being convinced of his sin. And then you have Herodias who won't be convinced of her sin. And then uh, they're they're living in this tension. Uh, What do we do about John the Baptist? Well, an opportunity comes up. It's his birthday. They throw a great party with him, with all of the elites. And at one point in that party, Herodias' daughter that she had with uh, with, uh, his brother, Herod's brother, her daughter from her previous marriage to Herod's brother, she came and she danced for everyone. And while she was dancing for Herod, and while most likely he was intoxicated, he told her, he says, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. Whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. And she goes and then she asks her mother, what should I ask for? And Herodias says, the head of John the Baptist. And then the text said, when she came back and said that to Herod, the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with order to bring John's head. He went 
and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Now, this is an actual historical account. This is actually exactly how John the Baptist died. The greatest man born of a woman dies in this way, in the most shameful, seemingly meaningless, and such a stupid execution. Herod got drunk one night, became infatuated with a relative, then murdered John, all to please his wife who couldn't stand the fact that she was wrong. And that is the martyrdom of John the Baptist. Now, I don't, want to, I don't want you, and I don't want to dismiss this either as some sort of old or ancient, outdated sort of thing, because it's not. Of all Christian persecution, it's estimated that 65% of it has been done in the 20th and 21st centuries alone. One out of every eight Christians lives in a country that persecutes, arrests, and even murders people who believe what we just said a few minutes ago in the creed. In 2018 alone, there were more than 4,000 Christians who were murdered for being Christian. An average of 11 Christians right now are killed every single day. That is the average. And these are only the numbers of those who die. I'm not talking about those who are daily imprisoned or tortured or ostracized or persecuted. Just this year in Canada, churches were set on fire and burned to the ground. Pastors were fined and arrested and thrown in jail for opening the door of their church to Christians to hear the gospel even though grocery stores and bars did the same exact thing with no consequence whatsoever. 75% of all religiously motivated persecution in the world right now is done to one group, to Christians. There is a mass genocide of Christians happening right now, and the media will not cover it. They will not talk about it. About a week and a half ago, uh, President Joe Biden ordered to bring back some of our some of our soldiers from Afghanistan. And just consider what's happened since then. The people from Afghanistan were holding on to the American planes during takeoff, and some actually fell to their own death because they'd rather die than live under the Taliban that took over the country in about 72 hours. Mothers crawled through sewers to, to find a way to escape, to find a way to come to another country. <laughs> this week, a Muslim suicide bomber attacked, in fact, just a few days ago, attacked the airport in, uh, in Kabul, uh, killing at least 110 people, men, women, and children, and our own soldiers that we left behind. And there we left all of our weapons and our drones and vehicles and all our technology over into the hands of those who seek only to destroy. Now, I'm not that interested right now if you believe whether we should have ever been there in the first place or if we should have removed them earlier or whatever the case. We can debate that another time. That's not really the point right now. The issue I'm getting to is this. We have Christians who are there in Afghanistan. 
we have Christian brothers and sisters there right now. There are still some there who have not bowed their knee to Allah. And they're about to face some of the most intense persecution in these coming days. Maybe have already seen it. Uh, A leader from the underground Christian church in Afghanistan, he released an official statement, and this is what he said. He sent it, um, and this is, it was translated, and this is what it says. It says this. um, It's a little lengthy, so just keep that in mind. What we're witnessing now is the decimation of the country and people of Afghanistan. We are watching 20 years of work and the strengthening of a nation being destroyed in a single day. The Taliban has has a hit list of known Christians that they are targeting to pursue and kill. The U.S. Embassy is defiant and there is no longer a safe place for believers to take refuge. All borders to neighboring countries are closed and all flights to and from have been halted with the exception of private planes. People are fleeing into the mountains looking for asylum. They are fully reliant on God, who is the only one who can and will protect them. The Taliban are going door to door, taking women and children. The people must mark their houses with an X if they have a girl over 12 years old, so that the Taliban can take them. If they find a young girl and the house was not marked, they will execute the entire family. If a married woman 25 years or older has been found, the Taliban promptly kill her husband and do whatever they want to her and then sell her as a sex slave. Husbands and fathers have given their wives and daughters guns and told them that when the Taliban come, they can choose to kill them or kill themselves. It is their choice. That was just written. That was written about a week ago. This is happening right now to Christians simply because they believe in Jesus, because they confess that he alone is the Lord and worthy of praise and that by his death he redeemed us from sin, death, and the devil. These Christians have not done a thing. They haven't haven't hurt anybody. They haven't stolen anything. They haven't broken any law. It's just the words they've said, the things that came out of their mouth. That is the reason they are undergoing this right now. The world cannot stand to hear this. Remember what Herodias did. That's exactly what they're doing. John the Baptist did nothing but speak. And these Christians have done nothing but speak. And they want them dead. All of this is happening only 7,000 miles east of us. Um, So what makes you think it won't happen here? They are one flight away. One flight For far too long, uh, we American Christians have taken the peace that God has given us for granted. But the days of thinking that persecution is far off is long gone. Because we've only begun to see it here. You see how they mistreat and mock and ostracize you, for not for how you act or behave, but because of the words, the word that comes out of your mouth. A man is a man, a woman is a woman, life begins at conception, marriage is between a man and a woman. Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
Christianity is the only true religion. There's salvation and no other name. And you've seen the persecution come in family, in work, in social media, uh, out among friends. I don't know how long it will be until we ourselves see the same sort of intense persecution as they're seeing. God could very well give us many more years of peace. He could. Or we may see persecution tomorrow. And I don't know. But whatever the case, you need to be prepared to endure it. In fact, when you became members of this church, all of you, every single one of you who, had, who became an official member of this congregation, you made a public profession of faith. And do you remember what you said? I asked a number of questions about God, about the Bible. Do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? Do you acknowledge the gifts God gave you in your baptism? Do you, do you accept uh, and, uh, th- that the scriptures are the inspired, infallible word of God? And so on and so forth. And then I asked this and I said, Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? And all of you said... I do by the grace of God. And then again, I asked you, do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? And then again, you said, I do by the grace of God. That is what you said. Nobody made you say that. There's no threat There's no uh, um, pressure to say this. All of you who said it said so willingly, either you mean it or you don't. Either you will die for the truth, for the faith, or you won't. But you cannot kind of make that confession. You can't kind of be a martyr. Either you are or you're not. Either you're willing to lose it all or you're willing to to, to lose nothing. It is true or it's not. You've said, I'd rather die than renounce Jesus and I will give up everything. But there is one thing I will never give up and that is the words, the word of the gospel. The word of the gospel is worth to me more than anything in the world. Now, uh, usually when we hear about persecution and martyrdom, we begin to get sad and angry or anxious or upset. And uh, to be honest, that is the wrong reaction. Scripture teaches us something entirely different. Rejoice. Jesus himself says, blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul himself says, I rejoice in my sufferings. In, in Acts chapter 5, the council was going to put the apostles to death for preaching the gospel. But instead, they were beaten and flogged severely and they mandated them. They said, you cannot talk this way anymore. You cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And do you know what happened next? The Bible says, then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They left rejoicing. They were joyful that they were counted worthy 
to be one who suffers for the Lord. Now, I want you to hear what our dear brother Martin Luther said about persecution. He he wrote this. He says, "If if you want to be a child of God, prepare yourself for persecution. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And Christ himself says in John 15, the disciples should not be better off than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, Jesus says. There is no other way out, and therefore the statement is, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Two, let us know how to console ourselves. Otherwise, this would look outwardly like a troubling and unhappy situation, and it wears us down to be sitting constantly amid danger to life and property. But when faith takes over, Luther says, we can lift ourselves up above this thinking and think, Nevertheless, Christ has said that I am blessed and I am well off because he said so. I let it be my comfort and pleasure. The word will make my heart great. Yes, greater than heaven and earth. Where all my persecutors com- what are all my persecutors compared to Jesus and his word? If there are two persecuting us, there are many more defending us, cheering us up, consoling us and blessing us. Yes, 10,000 angels over against one of them, together with all the saints who act in concert with Christ and with God himself. Uh, We're not supposed to hang our heads in shame. We're supposed to lift our heads and rejoice because persecution comes only to those who belong to Jesus. When you're persecuted, that should be a great comfort for your soul because it is visual proof. It is tangible proof that you're a child of God and a brother of Christ. The the devil is an angry demon who cannot stand seeing anybody enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when he attacks you, when he brings persecution and martyrdom, that is only because he knows that you are on your way to heaven. And he tries to do everything he can to stop you. He tries to block the way to turn you away from the Lord by bringing violence and opposition. But you won't be turned around. We oftentimes like to think of, uh, or or we have this misconception that the martyrs are people who have some sort of high pain tolerance or some superhuman strength. And the truth is they don't. Uh, They're flesh and blood and they have nerve endings and they're in pain and discomfort just as much as we are Uh, in whatever it might be. But God gives his saints a dear um, uh, added measure of his spirit to endure these things. In fact, whenever persecution comes your way, you simply need to remember what God said in Isaiah chapter 54. He says, No weapon formed against you shall shall prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And how is that? Well, this is because... God says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper because whoever believes in me, Jesus says, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And that means that weapons won't work. They can take away your breath, but they can't take away Jesus from you. They can drain the blood from your veins, but they cannot take an ounce of his righteousness away from you. They can stop your heart from beating, but it cannot kill you. The only thing these weapons can do is drive you more quickly into the arms of your dear Father in heaven. And that's what Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die 
is gain. So, the sword used to behead John the Baptist didn't work because he lives. And the weapon used to skin Bartholomew didn't work because he lives too. And all of the weapons formed against the the apostles did not work. The fangs of the lions used against the saints in the Colosseum didn't work because those saints are still alive. The flames and bullets and bombs that are being used against our dear brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now, as much as it appears to be working, is not working. They're not working. Because those who die in Christ are still alive. And so that means when the weapons are formed against you, they won't work either. Because even though you die, you will live. And this is all because the cross and the whips and the spear and the nails used against Jesus did not work against him. Because he lives and his tomb is empty and yours will be too. So dear saints, when the moment comes that the world demands your life, when it claims that you need to pick between Jesus and this world, uh, you will sing, what is the world to me? And you will say, I choose Jesus. I will be with him. And so when the world wants you to die for Jesus, then you lift up your head and you rejoice because you're doing for him only what he has done for you long ago. You say willingly and gladly and joyfully, I give up the breath in my lungs and the blood in my veins for my dear Lord Jesus Christ, who already did that for me long ago. So no matter what happens or what unfolds in these coming days or months or years, don't be afraid, no matter how close this gets to us. You strengthen your weary soul and you rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. If God himself before me, I may a host defy. For when I pray before me, my foes confounded fly. If Christ my head and master befriend me from above, what foe or what disaster can drive me from his love? Who clings with resolution to him whom Satan hates must look for persecution for him the burden waits of mockery, shame, and losses heaped upon his blameless head. A thousand plagues and crosses will be his daily bread. But from me this is not hidden, yet I am not afraid. I leave my cares as bidden to whom my vows were paid. Though life from me be taken and everything I own, I trust in you unshaken and cleave to you alone. No danger, thirst, or hunger, no pain or poverty, no earthly tyrant's anger shall ever vanquish me. Though earth should break asunder, my fortress you shall be. No fire or sword or thunder shall sever you from me. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.